0: Please open your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. We're going to commence reading in verse 1. Read through to verse 8. Luke chapter 18. Beginning the reading in verse 1, let's hear the Lord's Word. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? God add his own blessing to that reading for his name's sake. Now would you bow your head with me for a moment? Once again, ask the Lord just to come next to you. And give a word in season for your own soul tonight. Let's all pray. Loving Father in heaven, we still ourselves for a moment as we have some sense at least of how fruitless this meeting will be without thee. How wearisome the preaching will be, both to the preacher and to the hearer if the Holy Ghost himself does not become the preacher. We pray that all tonight will sense that thou art here and thou art speaking very directly, very personally to them. Thou still hast things to say about our struggles. Surely, Lord, thou wouldst not have sent a man to the shores of Ulster, To deal with the struggles of thy people. If thou didst not see them struggling. And our God we pray that as we take up this topic tonight. That thou wilt once again individualize it for everyone in the meeting. They will go away saying that God spoke to me tonight. And that our lives would be forever changed because Thou didst do that work through the ministry of the Holy Ghost and Thy Word. In Christ's name we pray, Amen and Amen. I believe that any Bible conference where dealing with the common struggles of the Lord's people is the theme, then... That theme must take up our struggle for a consistent prayer life. Our struggle for a consistent prayer life. I imagine that if you took a survey of Christians on the top three struggles in their walk with God, this struggle For a consistent prayer life would be found among them for the majority of believers. They know that they ought to pray far more often than they do. They believe, are certain, that they honestly want to pray more frequently and more regularly than they do. They also believe in their heart of hearts that God answers prayer. They believe that so many things can only be accomplished through prayer. That prayer is the key that unlocks the windows of heaven and brings blessings down to earth. They believe the promise. They can quote it off by heart. They believe that God has promised, if we ask, it will be given. And if we seek, we'll find it. And if we knock, then that door will be opened. But still, still they struggle for a consistent prayer life. For not fainting each day when it comes to meeting with God. Now, in the face of that struggle, the Lord Jesus Christ tells His people, verse 2, verse 1, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The Lord does not merely recommend to His people that they pray. He says men ought always to pray. That word ought means necessary. It is necessary that men Always pray. You know, we should think of a strange thing that God should need to tell His people that it is absolutely necessary for them to pray, not to faint in prayer, not to grow inconsistent in prayer, but to keep on praying. That, that should be a, seem a strange thing that God would need to do that. Suppose for a moment, if you will, that all the banks in Ulster sent out a statement that the first month, the first day of every month, they would open up all their vaults and give the money away to those that were in need. I don't think you'd have to coerce anyone to come up at their closest bank and say, I have a need, would you please give to me? But you see, that's exactly what's going on because our God, our Father is in heaven who said He has everything that we will ever need in this journey to glory and He just says, come and ask me and seek me and knock on the door and I will give exceeding abundantly above all that you've asked or even dreamed about. Just pray. Yet, we don't. There's Christ with all the treasures of His grace that we need for every hour, for every day that we're going to face, for every issue, for every struggle, for every problem, for every setback, every discouragement, every need. We're given every encouragement to pray, every encouragement that could be given. When you read the Scriptures, The Lord uses language where he's pleading with his people to pray, and to pray, and to pray steadily, and to pray consistently, not to be hit and miss now and then. Yet the Lord has found it necessary to tell His people that they need to pray, always pray. He knows that they are prone to faint in prayer. He knows that you and I are prone to slack off in prayer, to become careless and indifferent, cold about our prayer life. Ere you left your room this morning, Did you think to pray? I leave that between you and God. Why is it like this? Why is it that we have this struggle to pray consistently, steadfastly to God? How how do we deal with this struggle? First, this realize that this struggle will never cease to exist until our sinful nature ceases to exist. This struggle for steadfastness, constancy, not fainting in prayer, it will always be there as long as the flesh is there. It matters not how long you've walked with God. It matters not how many hours you have spent in your prayer closet. It doesn't matter how many verses of Scripture you have memorized about prayer. How many promises you can run off the top of your head. It matters not how many books you have read on prayer. And there are many, many good books on the Christian's prayer life. As with anything the Lord has given as a means of grace to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, until our souls fly heavenward, there will always be within us an enemy that fights against all, everything that is spiritual. All that would strengthen our graces that would develop that fruit of the Spirit. That's why you and I will find it very hard to love our enemies, right? To love those who despitefully use us, who speak evil of us, who hurt us. And we know what we're supposed to do. It takes grace. Grace. And there will be a battle. We, We are told to rejoice in the midst of tribulations. We know that. That's a fruit of the Spirit, but you can't do that any old time you want. It's a battle to rejoice when your world has come crashing down around you. Peace. Ah, you see... Every, every grace that we want to see grown is going to be a struggle for us until the flesh is no longer. Paul, oh, he made it clear there is this sin that dwells within him. Until our souls fly heavenward, it's going to be, day in and day out, a battle. I would be doing you a disservice if I told you otherwise. This is not a conference of let's make them feel good. Let's just tell stories when they are just fluff. No, you got to face the truth. We're struggling. Struggling means a battle. And I know one thing for sure you have a battle you have a struggle with a consistent prayer life. Our fallen nature wants nothing to do with getting alone with God, communing with Him, talking with Him. It wants, the flesh wants nothing to do with taking the time to pour out our hearts before Him. To take the time, the Hebrew word means. To empty, to empty all that's in our heart. The tendency is five minutes, rush, say the things, and use the prayer jargon. And what? We've had our prayer, we've had our devotions, and move on. Brothers and sisters, it takes time to empty your heart before God, to empty out all those desires, all those fears, all those things that upset your soul, all those things you want to see God do. It takes time to do that, and five minutes is not going to cut it. The flesh wants nothing to do with that. It wants nothing to do with praising God in prayer. No, but what happens is the first thing we do is begin to ask for this and that and the other thing. And forget, forget. The first thing is to praise Him. The first thing is to focus your mind upon who God is, the one you're coming to, and the glorious privilege you have of being able to pour out your hearts before Him. Focus upon Him and thank Him and praise Him, not begin with asking. Flesh doesn't want that. I'm simply taking the time, the time needful to expose our fallen nature. Your flesh and mine is totally depraved. It cannot be fixed. It cannot be renovated. It cannot be repaired in any way. It despises anything and everything that actually pleases the Lord. Anything that is holy. Anything that would weaken it. And prayer like few things can weaken your flesh. The flesh, therefore, hates it. I don't know if your minister will remember it. It was almost 40 years ago, and the older we get, you know it's that old forgettery that works better than the old memory. He might remember I hadn't been attending the work in Newtown Square very long and we were on I think a Saturday afternoon taking a little walk in his yard. And on that walk of that side yard that goes slightly uphill I said, Mr. Greer, how come it's so hard to pray? I'll never forget his answer. He said, because prayer is one of the most spiritual activities that a believer can ever engage in. And because it is one of the most spiritual, it's one of the most difficult. I want you to remember that. I've remembered it for almost 40 years. The more spiritual something is, the more the flesh rises up against it. And this this constant resistance of our carnal nature that lies at the root of our struggle for a consistent prayer life shows itself in various ways. First, we find it hard to pray consistently because our sin alienates us, it distances us, from God. We sin every day, word, thought, and deed. We saw that on the Sabbath day. Not a day goes by. Our unconfessed and unrepented of sin builds up barriers between us and the Lord. There is no getting around that. Because if you're not consistently praying, if there's not a steadfast prayer life, I know what that means. It means there's a whole lot of sins that aren't being told to God and saying, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me from my sins. So they just build up, and that builds a barrier. It puts distance between us and the Lord. And that that, that distance, that failure to go to God with our sins continually and daily, what happens? Well, it leaves our hearts cold. Careless. And when your heart is cold and careless, it always translates into prayerlessness. Every time. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Did you? Why? Have you grown cold and careless? Because you haven't been praying and asking the Lord to deal with those daily sins that just chill the heart. Those of you in the meeting tonight who have been married, I almost said for any length of time, but it doesn't take long to figure this one out, you know what happens when your spouse has said something or done something that has grieved you. Some way. There's a breakdown in communication. You know what it's like. You live in the same house. You sit at the same table. You sleep in the same bed. But you are not really on speaking terms. You only speak when you have to. Distance has come in between you. But the moment that The husband or the wife doesn't make any difference. The moment the the spouse comes and says, Honey, whatever term you use over here, Honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? Sure. Isn't that how marriage works? Over and over and over again. Again. That's how it works on a much higher level with God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I see it's there, I let it stay there, and don't bring it to God, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart. But it's also true, if I regard iniquity in my heart, I won't want to say anything to the Lord anyway. And so the struggle goes on. Again, we struggle with a consistent prayer life because of our proneness to doubt, to doubt the Word of God. I never really got into any depth on this last night when we were looking at the unbelief. But brothers and sisters, faith, faith prays. Unbelief doesn't. Find a man of great faith and you'll find a man of great prayer. He believes with his heart All of those things that God has said about prayer and about communion and about its power. And it's not just a mental assent. It's not just a doctrine that He holds to. It's heart belief. It's in His soul. And it moves Him to seek the face of God. Faith does that. But unbelief is a different kettle of fish. Unbelief arises within and whispers ever so softly, why pray about this matter? You don't really believe that prayer is going to change it anyway. You ever had those thoughts? Nope, no point in praying. Unbelief looks at the situation and sees how impossible it actually is. It's beyond prayer. Or it's either too trivial a thing, too minor a matter to bring to the Lord in prayer. It's too much concern perhaps with temporal issues. And it's only the spiritual issues that he's concerned with. Or else it's a matter in which you have gotten to the place in your walk with Him that you really don't expect the Lord to hear you. We don't believe that God is actually concerned about the smallest things in our lives. The smallest things. I was running late, going somewhere over here, in your dark, twisty black roads. When I came up to some lights, and Lord, make those lights turn green. I, I took a little thing, it seems so silly. But are, are you actually going I mean come on, mothers and fathers, you tell me when your little child comes up and so, so worried about something so little, it's so, you would laugh it off, but you don't because it's your child that you love. And the little things of those children are important to you. Yeah, But when, when you don't pray consistently, that old unbelief rises up and you don't think that it really matters to God about those little things in your home. Those little things that, you know, just worry you. we don't believe it's any reason to pray because it's too difficult to be worked out it's just too hard we don't believe that god will eventually answer us and because we don't believe we don't pray we don't pray we yeah, let me say this we don't believe that we can ever have a consistent prayer life anybody here like that tonight you've tried Seems like you get off the rails again and you've just given up. I can never have a consistent prayer life. Now that's unbelief talking. Thirdly, we struggle for a consistent prayer life because we are prone to too easily give up in prayer. We're talking about constancy and and consistency Through, through thick and thin, good days, bad days. The Lord is actually dealing with, in this parable, spiritual weakness. That's why He's bringing it up. This whole parable is about that. It was... Not only to teach us that we must always pray, but that we should not faint. We should not give up on prayer. And that was the whole point of the parable of this widow and the unjust judge. She cried to this unjust judge, "Note it, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. And he wouldn't listen to her. The answer wasn't coming and she did, that didn't stop her. She still kept praying day in and day out. Listen to the parable of the unjust judge, Christ said. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him? You talk about steadfastness. You talk about constancy. Day and night, night and day unto him. but in spite of that assurance from Christ, we still find praying consistently a struggle because we give up too easily in prayer. The second major truth I want to set before you tonight in this struggle. We struggle for a consistent prayer life, not only because of the sinful nature within us, but we struggle because the devil resists our every effort for a consistent prayer life. The devil. Christ knew right well that when he told them that they must always pray. He knew, he knew that the devil was going to come and would say, you need not always pray. Anything that Christ tells his people to do, he will come and tell them to do the opposite. He will tempt them to do the opposite on any point you want to look at. And certainly prayer is one of them. We sang tonight that well-known hymn by William Cooper, Restraining Prayer, We Cease to Fight. Man, don't just sing the words. Let them sink in. When we don't pray, we restrain, we hold back, we stop fighting. Here we are talking about struggling with a consistent prayer life. We cease to pray, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian armor bright. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. You, you see, fa- Satan has had this experience of thousands of years to actually see what God does through the praying of his people. He knows it. And he's afraid of it. Do you believe that? He's afraid. I like that little verse in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist is about combat. Resist him and he will run away. Satan will hightail it and run because he's afraid. He knows. He's seen what God has done to the prayers of his people. Simple Childlike prayers, but prayers offered up in faith. Why do you think he's resisting you continually? He knows that without prayer, you and I are an easy target. So the devil comes knowing that there is this within us this natural disinclination for prayer, and he gives us what he thinks are brilliant. Brilliant excuses to not pray day and night. To not pray consistently. One first, one of the oft-used tactics to keep us from praying constantly, consistently, is some physical issue. You need to wait until you feel better before you pray. Ah, you've got a bad headache. No point in praying. The the interesting thing is that in, in spite of not feeling well, God's people seem to be able to take care of their worldly business. Christians will even though they wake up in the morning and feel so awful, didn't have a good night of sleep, they'll go to work with a headache. But they won't pray with a headache. But the headache and the, and the weariness, the tiredness seem to be a legitimate reason not to pray. Or Stay home from church, or not read your Bible, or the list goes on. The Puritan William Gernall put it very quaintly like this He's talking to God's people. Art thou well enough to go into thy shop and not to pray in thy closet? Canst thou waddle so far as to the market and not pray at home? He painted a picture, didn't he? Waddling to the market, waddling to the store, waddling to the shop. But I can't make it out to the house of God and I can't even pray at home. Not waddling anywhere, just to my prayer closet. What a stark revelation this is of the opposition that Satan has when he brings up these excuses, and already our fallen nature is ready to accept it. Did you not pray this morning before you left the house because you didn't feel good? You had a bad night of sleep? Is that why? Not only will the devil make use of bodily sickness to keep you from praying, but he will also use the deadness of your own heart as an argument not to pray. You lack the desire to pray. Your heart feels cold and full of spiritual apathy and empty of any interest in, let alone, zeal for the place of prayer. My heart's cold. It's just dead. There's no point in praying. And so the devil suggests that you should pray when you're in a better frame of heart. Ah, that's it. Pray when you're in a better frame of heart. But if you listen to that suggestion, you will not pray. Tell me what you think is going to get you into a better frame of heart. Prayer. Do you see his subtlety? It's like, by neglecting prayer, now, you will be better prepared to pray later. That's how twisted he is. So, what he's actually saying is, you become better at prayer by not praying. The fact of the matter is that when you feel that your heart is so cold and dead and not in a fit frame to pray, that's exactly when you need to pray the most, not to neglect it. That's when you pray. When that temptation comes by Satan, two things, one of two things will happen. Number one, either you will feel and see your sin in not praying and you'll come back to the Lord and feel your shame and your sorrow for neglecting prayer and you'll pray. Or you will find the prayer easier to neglect the next time. And then it gets easier the next time, and the next time. And lo and behold, you've now gone days, perhaps weeks, without really pouring your heart out before God. This starts like that. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Did you seek the Lord today? What about yesterday? What about the day before? Are things beginning to build up now, or I should say be torn down as far as your prayer life goes? I know one thing with all of my heart that's true. If you are a child of God, He is your Father, Christ is your Savior, you do not want it to be like that. Oh, yes, I know. You just wish that God would all of a sudden come down from heaven, touch your heart, and your prayer life would be changed. Well, brothers and sisters, while that has happened at times, that is rare. That is rare. This is a battle. And we have to know our enemy, how he is working To keep us away from the throne of grace. Now the thing that needs to be asked is this. Why do I have this this lack of inclination for prayer? Where you know it's like I would like to but I've tried it. It's not going to happen. and It's sort of hit and miss and it's more missed than hit. Why, why is it like that? How come, I don't, how come I don't have the desire? Why do my physical issues keep me from prayer, but they don't keep me from anything else? Why is my heart cold toward the throne of grace? Why, why do I not desire fellowship with my Father? Why do I not want to walk with Jesus Christ in close communion? Because when we go on and on and on not praying, that's exactly what we're saying. It's not there. The longing is not there. Why? I think because one of two reasons. First, you have been knowingly tampering with some sin. I am not the Holy Ghost. I am not the one who can tell you what it would be. But I can tell you when you tamper with something you know is sin, it's going to have this effect upon you to kill your prayer life. Sinning and praying are enemies. Sin brings guilt. And guilt leaves you feeling ashamed and reticent to go into the Lord's presence because you've got to go and tell Him what you've been tampering with. Tampering with some unknown sin unfits us It unfits our hearts for prayer. Chilling our desires toward the things of God. Particularly fellowship with God in prayer. Something that is grieving Him. So if you you want to know why your interest in and desire for and practice of prayer has declined and ask the obvious question, is there some sin between you and Christ? You're dabbling with something you shouldn't be. You're spending time where you shouldn't be spending time Is your Facebook page more important to you than getting in the face of God? If that's the case, if there's some sin that you are tampering with, then the best thing you can do is pray. The best thing you can do is to go to the Lord in prayer and And turn from that which is causing you to be estranged from God. I I, I know, I don't have to go down the list. One thing I know about the Holy Ghost is he is the one who can put his finger right now. He knows right now. Has some thought arisen in your mind? Well, that's obvious enough then. That's why you're not praying consistently. Don't look anywhere else. Anywhere else. The longer you delay, the longer you don't pray. And then the more difficult it is to deal with and you only make matters worse because prayer is the key. Don't leave tonight until you settle this. Don't push it out of your mind. Please don't. Unless you want to go on continually with an inconsistent life of prayer. Or secondly, you haven't taken the time to prime the pump. There's a younger generation here And I don't know if they understand what priming the pump means. When I was a boy, the summertime, there was a playground that had an old well type. If you know the type, you old folks, you pump it like this, like this, and you pump, and you pump until the water comes up. And it was so cool and refreshing on a hot summer day when you've been playing the playground all day. Well, one thing we learned as boys, you had to have water handy to prime the pump. If you didn't prime the pump, the water wouldn't flow. Someone would get a gallon of water, pour it down the top, you began to pump, and then the water begins to flow and you're refreshed. You know there's a priming the pump when it comes to prayer. The Lord speaks to us. This is the priming. The Lord speaks to us through His Word through the Scriptures, that we might, in turn, speak to Him. He speaks to us, so we speak to Him. But what if yours is the case where you're not tampering with some sin and You are taking the word of God and before you pray, you're reading the scriptures, asking the Lord, show me something out of your law. Speak to my heart every time before you pray. Lord, from the word, just speak to my heart. You're doing all that. But still, you have no heart for prayer. You don't have this real hunger, this real hunger for consistently day in and day out coming to the Lord. Well, you know what the answer is? It's going to seem ironic, but the thing you need to do is pray. And pray. And you'll find that it's God's way to stir your heart when you're praying when you don't feel like praying. I gather that many of you have had that experience. I, you know, I, I don't want to pray. I don't feel like praying, no desire to pray. But I know what's going to happen if I don't pray. I know what's going to happen. And then you just get on your face before God and you begin to Pray. And what happens? I'll tell you what happens. The Holy Ghost draws near. And when you're said and done, you are so glad that you just went on and prayed when you didn't feel like it. You've had some of the best prayer times ever when your heart was cold. Some of the best prayer times ever. You know what God was saying? You just pray on, no matter how much you don't feel like it. Because I am a God who is true to my word, and when you call upon me, I am right there to hear you. But you've got to pray through it. You've got to pray through the coldness. You've got to pray through the indifference, the inconsistency. It seems sort of silly, doesn't it? But the answer to prayerlessness is prayer. One of Satan's most successful tactics to prevent the believer from a constant prayer life is this one. You don't have time. How many times and the place that should be visited has not been visited, the prayer has not taken place because the devil has suggested and we actually listen to him that we need to pray later because something is right now too pressing and you must deal with that. I'll come back later. And you know what? You don't. Or if you do come back to it, it's hurried because you've been dealing with that urgent matter that's so important. In in, in his book, Freedom from the Tyranny of the Urgent, it's a good little book worth purchasing. Amazon, it's for sale. Freedom from the Tyranny of the Urgent. Charles Hummel wrote this, Our greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important ones. The urgent things crowd out the important ones. We live in constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that many important tasks need not be done today or even this week. Additional hours for prayer and Bible study, a visit to an elderly friend, reading an important book, these activities can usually wait a while longer. But often urgent, though less important tasks call for immediate response and gobble up our time. Endless demands pressure every waking hour. Their appeal seems irresistible, and they devour our energy. But in the light of eternity, their momentary prominence fades. With a sense of loss, we recall the important tasks that have been shunted aside. We realize that we have become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent Does it sound familiar? You go to pray, and something pops up in your mind. Oh, I've got to go deal with that. Oh, I forgot I must run here. It's urgent, it's so urgent. But it's not important. The greatest tyrant of the urgent when it comes to this will, these all-important matters of prayer, is the devil. He loves to fill our heads and our hands and our prayer closets with urgent things, even with good things, as long as it keeps us away from the one thing that's needful. The devil, I call him the great interrupter. He is the great interrupter of our prayer life. He comes to you and I as we seek to fellowship with God in prayer and interrupts. We're too busy. Just too busy. We can't pour out our hearts. We can't take the time because this pressing matter must be done. It must be taken care of. And sometimes I find it is the silliest of things. I began to pray this morning, and the thought went through my mind oh, the wash is in that dryer, and I've got to make sure it gets done. It won't get wrinkled if I don't get it out. Out of the blue. I mean, that's really urgent, isn't it? Really important. I knew what he was about. He just didn't want me to pray. But I had a blessed time with the Lord. I don't think I would have if I'd gone down and fooled the laundry. Because then something else pops up and then something else pops up You see, I have to believe, brothers and sisters, again, it comes back to this. Why in the world did God send me here to this land to tell you about your struggle with a consistent prayer life? I have to believe there's got to be folk here having this very problem. I tell you again, Satan is well aware of what God can do through you with a steadfast prayer life. He's very aware of it. You talk about the way that God changes His people. You talk about the way that God gives power to make you useful. He knows it happens through prayer. That's why He trembles when He sees you on your knees. Sure as anything, I know when this meeting is done and you go home and you say, by God's grace, things are going to change. You have now a target on your back and He will double down William Grenall said something else about what we need to do about this. These urgent matters keep us from praying. Things that just clutter up and get in the way. He said, We could not easily lack time to pray. That would not be an issue if our hearts would, but listen to this, if our hearts Would but persuade our heads to devise and study how our other affairs might be disposed of without prejudice to our devotions. What was all that about? If our hearts would just talk to our brains and we would sit down and figure out our day could be arranged so these things are not going to get in the way. We do that for so many things. We schedule our time. How many of you have diaries? How many on your phones? You have this calendar. You're gonna go here, you go to here. There's the time is there. So tell me why not? If the heart wants to meet with God regularly, why not plug in? This hour I meet with God. It's practical. You aim at nothing, and I promise you, you will hit it every time. Every single time if you aim at nothing. So sit down and work out what needs to be done. What sacrifices you have to make, what changes need to be made. If you're really serious about a consistent prayer life, we need a a better understanding of the priority of prayer in our walk with God. Yes, there are times and events that take the place away lawfully that prevent the child of God from getting alone with the Lord, but we must be very careful that we don't label something as a necessary duty when it's actually just an excuse for not praying and what we hope will prevent a guilty conscience. We'll be kept from that by keeping the priority of a prayer life. So one thing you need to do every day is Pray. Third and finally and to me this is the most important of all it doesn't require a lot of exposition because it gets to the heart of the matter. Remember that prayer is all about a relationship and not about a ritual. Prayer is all about a relationship And not about a ritual. Prayer can become that, you know. It can become a ritual. It becomes a mechanical thing. Having a consistent prayer life can be handled as being consistent with a ritual. But prayer is about enjoying Prayer is about enjoying a living relationship with a living Christ who wants our continual fellowship. It's a relationship. Your marriage is a relationship. You talk with each other every day because you're in a relationship. On a much higher plane, if you're His, you're in a relationship, a loving, tender relationship with Jesus Christ, with your God, with your Father. It's not just something you do. It's not just something you go to and there. Well, I've, I've got all the words and I've got my prayer list. I'm not, I'm not debunking prayer lists. Don't misunderstand me. And you can say, I, I've, I, I can say the right prayer and I, I know the words you use and all the, the pat phrases and still not meet with God. You're going to talk to him. You're going to talk to your closest friend in all the world. You're going to talk to your Father in heaven who knows what you have need of before you ask. It is a relationship, not a ritual. Prayer is about enjoying God. Enjoying God. I stress the word enjoying in the context of prayer only because the scriptures stress it. What other conclusion could you draw when the psalmist says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Prayer is all about, it's all about being In the presence of God. I mean, God is omnipresent. He's here tonight as far as His omnipresence goes. There is no place where God not is. He fills all space with all of His being. And He doesn't have bodily parts. He's everywhere present at once with all of His being. He's not split up. That's all true. But it's about... It's about the sense, the awareness. I am before God. I am in His presence. He's listening to me now. I'm talking to Him. He's just as real as I'd be talking to my wife or to my husband or to my children. It's real. And you sense that. It's, it's about the joy. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. Wouldn't that... Brothers and sisters, in the Lord's presence in the place of prayer, why is it a place of joy? Because I'm going to one who loves me with everlasting love. He knows all that's bad about me. He knows all my faults. He sees what I do every day. He knows my proneness to wander. He knows my prayerlessness. He knows when I don't desire, desire him. And still he says, I want you to come near." Come, child, just come. Oh, it's so good to see you. It thrills my heart that you're here. Now, what do you have to tell me? Come on, come on. Pour out your heart to me. I'm here to listen. You just don't know how much I love you. I'm so ready to help, I'm so ready to hear. That's prayer. How do you pray without believing that? How do you really pray? Oh God, I'm weak, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing. And the Lord says, I know but I love to take the nobodies and the nothings to do great things that I might be glorified. I love you, so pour out your heart. Now that's joy, and there isn't anything like it. No love on earth can compare to that love. in the place of prayer. Why is it a joyful place? Because there's liberty. There's freedom to tell the Lord everything. There are things we would tell no one we wouldn't want them to know. But we can go to God and tell him everything. Bring it all to Him with absolute freedom, with boldness and with confidence. No need to hold back. I tell you, when you're free, you're happy. That's why we get into bondage when we don't pray. Joy And prayer comes because there's light in his presence. You and I find ourselves in dark times, in dark places. We sit in darkness and have no light. We don't know the next step to take. We're confused at the Lord's dealings with us. Things may be very dark on the home front. Or on the church front, or on the work front, it makes no difference. But there's one place you can go and find light in the light of His face. You get light for the darkness, you get light for the path, and the darkness flees away, all because you went to His throne and prayed. I know you want to be happy. God has put that within us, you know. It's not a sin. He made us where we would desire happiness. Why in the world would there be so many promises of blessedness to those who do this and to those who have this and those who have that experience? Why would it be if He hadn't made us to be happy, joyful? Yet there you are going around moaning and groaning. Woe is me. How difficult life is. And we breathe out all our woes, as Cooper said to our fellow creature's ears. When all the while, there's a Father in heaven There's a Christ who is the Redeemer and there's the Holy Ghost who is the Comforter and all he says is, come, tell me about it. And you get up off your face, off your knees and you find the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that what, isn't that what you want? Isn't that longing down deep in your heart? Are you not fed up with an inconsistent prayer life? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. When Christ said, men ought always to pray and not to faint, do you think he said it? Thinking there's just not gonna happen if he said it. It's needful, it's necessary. He has all the grace you need to do what he said to do. Now, will you go home tonight? Things getting in the way of starting the day with God? First things first. What are you going to have to change? Tell me. What are you going to have to Go home, write it down. Plan it out. Lord, this is it. And this God of grace will give you all the grace you need to do it. Believe it because it's true. Not because I said it, but because God said it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank thee for stilling our hearts this evening in thy house. We have sensed thy nearness. We do not believe that thou dost draw near to thy people to leave them where they are. Lord, thou dost even now search the hearts. Thou dost know those here tonight who especially needed to hear this word. Preach on, we pray, to them. Show them the way forward. Pour thy grace into their souls. And may thy work here in Ballymena see thee do wonderful things through those united prayer closets of Thy people. All for Christ's sake we pray. Amen and amen.